Father, I ask now that there would be a confirming work in the lives of those you've been moving toward global missions, cross-cultural missions long-term. There would be a miraculous confirming work in this service. And I ask, in addition, that some who've not contemplated that possibility would be awakened to it in a surprising way that they never expected. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, the voice of heaven rings out in praise to Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And you ransomed people for God from all the tribes and tongues and people and nation and made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. In other words, when Christ the Son of God died, he paid a ransom. And by that ransom, he liberated a people from all the peoples. He bought a people for himself. And he assembles them into a new humanity, a kingdom, a church, a bride. And this message is about how he does that. He's not a tribal deity, therefore. We all know this. We know this. His kingdom, his new people, this new humanity, this bride, this church is assembled from all the peoples and tongues and tribes. Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this Jewish fold. I must. That's a strong word for the Son of God to say. I must bring them also. They will hear my voice, and they will follow me, and I will give them life eternal, and they will never perish. How do they hear his voice? He says, they will hear my voice. All those peoples, all those tongues, all those tribes, all those nations will hear my voice, and my sheep will follow me. How do they hear it? Paul answers with a question, several questions. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. <laughs> we used to have a Missions Week at my college where I went 50 years ago called Beautiful Feet Week. Yeah, it was so good. Feet are not beautiful. They're ugly, especially when you walk around with sandals on dirty roads. You want to have beautiful feet? Tell somebody good news. Get on the road. How are they sent? I mean, it says that nobody's going to go unless they're sent. 
It happens in services like this. In 10,000 other ways, God stretches out his hand as I preach, as we sing, as you look at these pictures, as someone prays, as someone recites scripture. It happens in services like this and 10,000 other ways where the Holy Spirit moves in ways nobody can explain and turns people into goers and senders. Nobody can explain this. It's happening right now in this room. What a miracle. What an awesome thing that happens under the word of God. He does it by means. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Go therefore, he says, looks us all right in the eye, says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And look, it's just so sweet. I'll be with you always to the end of the world. What a promise. Is that going to happen? Are the, are the nations going to be reached? Are all the unreached peoples going to be reached so that the voice of Jesus is heard and the sheep follow? Is that going to happen? Jesus left us in absolutely no doubt in Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. It's not maybe will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the peoples, pantata ethne, all those ethnic groups that were mentioned in Revelation 5, 9, that's going to happen. In this world right now, there are a lot of uncertainties. That's not one of them. Someone might say, you know, Pastor John, with war in the Middle East, war in Ukraine, wars all over Africa right now, this is not an optimal time for world evangelization. This is not an optimal time for you to be recruiting. To which Jesus responds, that's the opposite of what I say. Here's what Jesus said. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. They always go together. Wars and world evangelization. You wait till there are no wars, you'll never go. They always happen together. During the Civil War, I'll give you a few examples. Sarah Doremus founded the Women's Missionary Union Society to send single women to Asia during the Civil War. The Episcopal Church opened a work in Haiti during the Civil War. China Inland Mission was founded by Hudson Taylor during our Civil War. 
During the First World War, C.T. Studd was glorying in a great revival in the Congo. International Foreign Missions Association was formed during the First World War. During the Second World War, Cameron Townsend founded the Wycliffe Bible Translators. During the Second World War, New Tribes Mission was founded. During the Second World War, the Conservative Baptist Mission Foreign Mission Society was formed. Mission Aviation Fellowship was formed. Far Eastern Broadcasting Company was formed, all during the Second World War. During the Korean War, World Evangelical Alliance was formed. Bill Bright created the Campus Crusade during the Korean War. Trans World Radio was formed during the Korean War. It always goes together. This is a good time for world evangelization. So, here we are, second week of Missions Week, and I get the awesome privilege of doing this. For 40 years, I think, pretty much without fail, the second half of Missions Focus, we've had a, a call to the front at the end of the service. So I'm gonna tell you how that's gonna go. I'm going to invite, in about 30 minutes, three groups of people to come. Number one, any global partners in the room? Missionaries. Number two, anybody in the nurture program? And now get this third one because this is the wild card of the Holy Spirit. Those of you who sense that God has been stirring in your life to move you toward cross-cultural missions long-term. So that's not everybody. It's not even most of you. But oh, it is some of you. And this service is a crisis moment for some because you've been wondering, is that me? And I'm not asking you to be sure, right? Get this clear now. When I ask you to come, I'm not saying you know. I'm saying you sense, but you're not sure, but that's the trajectory of your life. That's the direction that you're moving. If God stops you, he'll stop you, okay? That's where we're going at the end of the service in a few minutes. Now, how does he do this? What, what, how's it gonna happen in the next 30 minutes if it hasn't happened already? It's gonna happen as it regularly happens through the word of God. You're reading your Bible, you're listening to a sermon and something happens. That's the way it happened to me, 1966, September. It was over after the preaching of John Harrell Akingay at Wheaton. It was over, I was done. I'm off to ministry for the rest of my life. I never turned back. It happened in the preaching of the word of God. So, turn to Luke chapter 9. This is an amazing text. Open your Bibles, open your phone, keep your eyes on it. I'll show you everything I'm going to say. It's really there in the text. It's unbelievably important. It's staggeringly life-changing. It's gloriously Christ-exalting. And it's scary as I want to say hell, but <laughs> that would be true. You'll see why. Verse 22, prior to the text, Jesus had just said, this is Luke 9, 22, 
The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. That's such a stark word. I must be killed. And on the third day, be raised. So it's not surprising, is it, that he goes forward to die, that he would say, if you want to come with me, that's how it's going to be. Verse 23, and he said to all, so this is for all, not just missionaries. It does have a sweet and special context for missionaries, but let's all take it. He's, Jesus is talking to everybody in this room and online. If anyone would come after me, let him, number one, deny himself, number two, take up his cross daily, and number three, follow me. Three ways to get behind Jesus as his disciple. Let's take them one at a time. First, you want to get behind me and be my disciple? You've got to deny yourself. There will always be pleasures, comforts, and securities in this life Christians must deny themselves. In order to be a Christian, follow Jesus. If you are set, test yourself to see if this is you. If you are set right now on pursuing all the earthly pleasures you can imagine and all the comforts of this life, if you're set on, I'm going to have comforts, I'm going to maximize my comforts, and I'm going to get all the securities and protections around me so I can't be hurt. You can't be a Christian. Missionary doesn't even come into the picture here. You can't follow Jesus if you are set on maximizing pleasures, maximizing comforts, maximizing securities, self-denial be gone. Number two, take up your cross daily. Are you with me in verse 23? Jesus is talking here. Jesus is talking. You must take up your cross daily. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Now, the cross is a beam of wood where you're going to be crucified. It's taking up your electric chair and taking up the gas chamber and taking up your lethal injection. That's what it is. You're going to die. You must die. You can't be my disciple if you don't die. Daily. So we join Paul, don't we? I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. <laughs> it's like that lieutenant in Band of Brothers who said, a look, timid-hearted private, 
the way not to be afraid of being killed in battle is to assume you're already dead. It is a wonderful thing to face death every day as a person who's already dead. It's a wonderful thing as an old man to face death every day as a dead man. I'm dead. I've already died. Bring it on, death. What can you do? That's the way Jesus talked. Don't fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing that they can do. That's all they can do. <laughs> so, wake up every morning and say, I belong body and soul to Jesus Christ. He's my life. I'm not my own. I've died to self-rule. I've died to self-sufficiency. I've died to self-exaltation. I've died to self-survival and preservation. He may do with me anything he wants. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm dead. What a way to live. You want to be fearless? Be dead. Already. Number three, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Me, not my healings, me, not my exorcisms, me, not just my forgiveness, me, not just my deliverance from hell, me. <clears throat> you want to be a follower of me? Follow me. Me. So, self-denial, pleasures, comforts, securities, death, self-rule, self-sufficiency, self-survival, self-exaltation, third, Delight in Jesus. It's a nice D. Denial, death, delight. Can you remember that? That's Christianity. That's not missions. That's Christianity. That's the soil where missions happens. Churches like that breed missionaries. Now, the rest of this text is argument. Jesus is putting four foundation stones underneath that, verse 23. So verse 23 is what Christianity looks like, and the arguments for it are fourfold. They proceed as argument for verse 23, argument for verse 24, argument for verse 25, argument for verse 26, and you can see it. You, you don't need to say, oh, Piper's going to turn this into an argument. No, I'm not turning it into an argument. It is an argument. And you can see it plain as day with the words four, 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 four. All right? At the beginning of verse 24, four. 
beginning in verse 25, four, beginning in verse 26, four. Now, it's not there at the beginning of verse 27, but that's the way it works, and I'll try to show you that. So let's take them one at a time. Watch how Jesus argues. This is the Son of God right now in your hearing arguing for self-denial, death, and delight. Argument number one, verse 24, because, so live this way because whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In other words, if you try to save your life by refusing self-denial, refusing cross-bearing, and refusing delight in Jesus, you're going to die. You're going to lose your life. That's the argument. Or, positively, if you lose your life by embracing self-denial, embracing daily death, embracing Jesus as your treasure, you're going to live forever. You're going to gain your life. That's the argument. It's a paradox, isn't it? Literally, it says you will save it, and the it refers to self. So if you deny yourself, you gain yourself. If you die yourself, you live yourself. If you delight in Jesus, you have yourself. Hmm. Jesus talks like this, right? He talks like this. Here's how Augustine put it. Oh, he's good. He says, if you love your soul there's danger of it being destroyed. Therefore, you may not love it since you do not want it to be destroyed, but in not wanting it to be destroyed, you love it. That's right, and Jesus knew it was right. And that's how he's arguing. You want to save your soul, people. That's the given. Nobody wants to go to hell, except people who joke about it and think all their friends are there. That's idiot. That's an idiot talking. You do not want to go to hell. You want to live. And he knew it. Let me make this really clear if I can. There is nothing sinful about wanting to live forever with Jesus. You got that? There is nothing sinful about wanting to live forever with Jesus. I'll put it negatively. Now listen, it's a sin, a deadly mortal sin not to want to live forever with Jesus. That's the assumption of this argument. This argument doesn't work any other way than that. So there's no ultimate self-denial in the Christian life. There's only temporary self-denial. You deny yourself 80 years of many things to gain them forever. Which is why so many missionaries have said with David Livingston, after suffering so much, I never made a sacrifice. The people that have suffered for Jesus most talk that way. Yes, they do. I never made a sacrifice. Jesus 
and loss of life? Give me Jesus. Argument number two, foundation stone number two, verse 25, supporting verse 24. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And the answer to that question is nothing. Profits nothing. So how does the argument work? It goes like this. Whoever would save his life will lose it because even if you succeed totally in saving your life for 80 years by not denying yourself at all, not dying at all, delighting in the world instead of Jesus, if you totally succeed, you die. You forfeit your life. You gain the whole world. You forfeit your life. If Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg don't deny themselves, take up their cross daily and delight in Jesus, they will perish. The richest men in America are on a collision course with total loss. Don't join them. Don't be idiots. Don't join them. Come on, get a life. Get a life that lasts forever. Don't waste it. May God save them. I, I don't know what their belief is. May God save them. Now, verse 26 is the foundation stone number three, and it supports verse 25. Four, this is our third, four, for, or because, whoever is ashamed of me in my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So how does that verse support verse 24? Got it figured out yet? Yeah. The reason that total success in gaining your life by owning the entire world, okay, you've succeeded. You're, you're 80 years old, you own the world, all right? Total success. You gained your life. The reason um, that's a catastrophe is because in order to make that your goal in life, you have to be ashamed of Jesus. You have to be. If Jesus were your most admirable friend and your treasure, you couldn't devote yourself to owning the world. So Jesus is assuming if you got there, you totally succeeded. You've had to do it at the price of being ashamed of me, which means you're going to hear at the last day two words. 
The second worst word you'll hear is, you were ashamed of me your whole life, and I'm the son of God. What's the worst thing they'll hear? Or you'll hear if you live like that. What's the worst thing? Well, he tells us right here in verse 26, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes. The worst thing to hear from the king of the universe is, picture, picture him looking at you saying this, I would be ashamed to have anybody like you in my kingdom. You do not want to hear those words. I would be ashamed. I'd be ashamed to have the likes of you in my heaven. God, that's going to be an awful moment. Fourth foundation stone, the last one, verse 27. And this supports verse 26. It's, it's, it's a puzzle how it does, because it doesn't have any connecting word. I mean, it might have a but in your translation, but it's just a, a mild connecting word that doesn't signal all of its argumentative force. So I'm going to give you an interpretation. You test it. So verse 27 says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now that's a reference to Peter and James and John who in eight days will see the kingdom of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. I wish I had an hour to defend this interpretation, but I'll point you to where you can see the argument. Let's read verse 28. Now, about eight days after these things, these sayings, which sayings? The one where he said, the Son of Man is going to come in his glory, the glory of his Father, the glory of the holy angels. He's coming. Eight days after saying that, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray, and he was transfigured there. What was he transfigured into? He was transfigured into the glory of the Christ of the second coming. This was a preview. This was a trailer. This was a foreglimpse, a foretaste of the second coming glory he had referred to in verse 26. And only three saw it, and they were told to be quiet until after the resurrection. Before they died, they would see the second coming as a preview. Now, the reason I think that's what he means is because when Peter writes his second letter, read it this afternoon, chapter 1, 2 Peter, he says in defending the second coming reality that he saw the glory on the mountain. He argues that way. I'm not making this up. That's the way Peter interprets the transfiguration. So I think the argument of verse 27 is a defense of verse 26 by saying, I'm really coming. I'm really coming in my glory. I'm really coming with the glory of my Father. I'm coming with the glory of the holy angels. I'm going to prove it by showing it to three of my friends in eight days. That's the argument. 
So we're done with our exposition. Let's say the main point and the main argument. The main point is, if you want to be a Christian, get behind Jesus, follow him. You must deny yourself many pleasures, many comforts, many securities in this life. Which ones? He'll show you in his service. Number two, you must die every day. I'm not my own. I have died to self-rule. I have died to self-sufficiency. I have died to self-exaltation. I have died to self-survival. I'm a dead man. Go to life. And number three, follow me. Delight in me. Treasure me. That's Christianity. And the main argument for it, and here I cut four paragraphs out of this sermon so that we'd have time to do the right thing here at the end. That is, take our time with the next miracle. If we had time, we could talk about how this argument is all over the Bible. But the main argument in verse 24 is if you embrace this way of life, self-denial, death, delight, you're going to live forever. <laughs> you're going to gain your life. It's the argument. Everything else is support. Everything else is subordinate, supporting that argument. You, you cannot out-sacrifice Jesus. You leave, you leave mother, father, children, lands behind, and you say, Jesus, do you see what we've done for you? And he says, nobody has left mother or father or lands or children for my sake who doesn't give back a hundredfold in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. You think you can out-sacrifice me? You can't, man. Every sacrifice you make, I pay back a thousandfold. Get a life. I'm inviting you to eternal joy. That's the argument. So we end. So many of you love this motto, right? You love Jim Elliott's motto. Hundreds of you could say it with me. You're welcome to. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And they killed him. And we're going to sing the song in just a few minutes that they sang while they walked toward martyrdom. It's always a moving moment in this service to me to sing that song. Here are the three groups Here's how we're going to do this. We're going to keep our eyes open. Nobody's playing any mood music. I'm just going to pray for God to work. And then I'm going to ask these three groups to come. Global partners, nurture program people, and then that, that group where God is doing things. He's been doing them for years might have just started in the service. You sense, let me try to say it clearly now. You sense 
that God is stirring in your life to move you toward cross-cultural, long-term. So I know everybody's going to do a short-term mission project, I hope. That's not, I don't want everybody to come. Long-term missions. You might not do it, but you sense that's the direction God is moving me. So, Father, I ask that you would bring them so that I can pray these three groups and we can sing over them. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So why don't you come? And just stand here at the front facing me. And you might be 16 and you might be 60 or 70 or 77. I told Noel, you know, we're always praying. Might be us, you know. And that's true. I mean, I'm free as a bird. I don't need any money, right? I got Uncle Sam paying all my bills. <laughs> so I'm free. Just speak the word, Lord. I'm a dead man. I'm going to pray for you. Um, you're all invited to Kenny's tonight, but and then, and then Chuck. After I pray, we're going to sing. Father, you know where they are right now. These folks standing in front of me—they're on lots of different places, probably in their journey. And I'm just simply asking you bring clarity and encouragement to them. Confirm, if, if your call is on them, if you're leading them toward cross-cultural missions long-term, confirm that to them today, right now, I ask. And may the rest of us who are, are not standing there be utterly sold-out senders. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.